0: Get to the sports, kingdom bodies, kingdom fields of court. Welcome to the sports, kingdom bodies. Welcome, 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the TSK Show. I'm your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Pichelke. What's up, TP? How you doing, man?
1: Hey, doing good. I'm excited to have guests on today.
0: Oh, yeah. Before we start, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to find myself or Tyler on Twitter, be sure to follow us at the Duke of Sports and at Tyler's underscore world underscore. All of our content can be found on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Just type in keyword TSK show. Check us out on Anchor as well. Anchor.fm slash TSK show or just download the Anchor app for your iPhone or Android. This week, we got something uh, really cool for you guys. Uh, If you've been listening to the show, you know that usually Tyler and I will go over whatever's really happening in the world of sports. And when we normally have guests on, they kind of just jump right into the conversation with us. But tonight's going to be a little bit different. Uh, We have a very special guest with us and tonight... The show is going to be all about them. This is definitely going to be the first of many episodes like this in the coming future for the TSK show. But without further ado, we'd like to welcome two-time EuroLeague champion with Maccabi Tel Aviv and former USC Trojan, where he led the Trojans in 2001 to an upset victory over Kentucky in the Sweet 16, David Blue. How you doing, man? Good. Great to be
2: here. Tyler, Eric, uh, great to see you guys and great to meet you guys here. Yeah, definitely. What what an intro. Yeah. Yeah, thank you.
1: Sets it up nice.
2: Yeah, so uh, let's
0: uh, let's just jump right into it. You're from Los Angeles. You're born and raised here. Um, where did you go to
2: high school, and what was that like playing high school basketball here in Los Angeles? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up here in, uh, like, the Marina Del Rey, Culver City area. Uh, really grew up playing streetball. There wasn't much AAU at the time, and so yeah. in the summers, it was like, you know, go to the park and play. Yeah, get uh, better. Get better, you know, yeah. walk to the park. Um, we had a little hoop in our front yard so I could shoot out there and play with my neighbors. Um, and so uh, I went to Palms Middle School. Uh, then I went to Westchester High mm-hmm. for my freshman year, played JV, um, had a pretty good team, uh, got moved up to varsity uh, for the playoffs. Um, I didn't have a great time off the floor at Westchester, only because of my my friends that were from Palms weren't like the cool kids kids going to Westchester. Yeah. And so um, I decided to transfer over to Venice High School. So for my sophomore and junior year, I went to Venice High School, and uh, we were a terrible basketball team, but <laughs> I, I had a great time just being a kid, you yeah. know, being with my friends from, yeah, from middle sure. school, and you know that, that was important to me. Uh, then uh, for my senior year, I went back to Westchester. I, was, uh, I wanted to win a championship, a city championship. I wanted to win a state championship. And, you know, it's kind of like when you're trying to get to college, you got to go to a good school. Right. You got to yeah. be playing in the playoffs. You yeah, got to get to got to see you play. They got to see you play. If you want to go to a school like Duke or yeah. North Carolina, you got to yeah. go to a big high school. Yeah, and, and definitely. Do well. So yeah. I decided to go back to Westchester. Um, that year, my senior year, uh, we won the city championship, we won the state championship. I was the LA uh, city player of the year. And there the you state, go. The state Player of the year. All right, yeah, for Division One. That's and, saying something, Cali.
0: And, and Division One is very tough in yeah. in California, especially in Southern California, yeah. and Los Angeles. And uh,
2: then CIF that year, uh, player state uh, player of the year was Tayshawn Prince. So that was like you know, yeah, not too bad. Not not, too too not bad. some schlump we haven't heard of
0: before. Yeah. Taysha. Uh, so speaking speaking of a player like Tayshawn Prince, uh, why don't you tell us about some of the players that you maybe played against, played with? Uh, because obviously, LA
2: is a hotbed for basketball and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, Tayshawn was definitely um, one of the best ever since we were like 12, uh, because that's about the time we started all in AAU and yeah. Slam and Jam and yep. uh, ARC and the different leagues. Um, the they used leagues. to play ARC. I mean, a lot, a lot of people It's still going. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. still going oh, yeah, strong. Right. Um, so, he was one. Tayshawn was very good. Uh, Tony Bland, who was a. Uh, The coach at USC up until recently, he was one of the better players uh, in LA. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Capono. Uh, Jason Capono was uh, one of the great players. Uh, Casey Jacobson uh, was more like the the, a little bit more south of here. Um, Matt Barnes was a Northern California guy, so he was a California, uh, you know, all star. I guess you could say. Um, But there were there were some good teams. You know, I don't I don't remember so many of the players, but like Crenshaw was always a did you very get a, good team. Did you get
0: a chance to play against Tyson Chandler?
2: So I did. So my senior year, in fact, that was the only game that we lost our senior year. And oh. it was the, uh, I don't know if it was the wooden classic, but we played Dominguez uh, as one of the first games of the season at Pauley Pavilion. And um, I remember it was a close tough game. Yeah. Uh they had on their team uh Tyson Chandler, Tayshawn Prince, another guy named Jason Thomas who at the time was, you know, Stud. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good player. He actually went to play football at UNLV quarterback. So they that, that was the only game that that we lost uh that year we went undefeated. We won the city and state and Yeah. All game. right.
1: That's that's a nice high school. That's a nice high school career. That's yeah. a, that's a lot of fun, a lot of big names.
2: Um, to kind of get into
0: your background a little bit, um, and in terms of how it affected you on the basketball court, what was it like growing up being Jewish and African-American yeah. and biracial
2: and all of that? It was challenging. Uh, you know, I, about the time you're five, six, seven years old, that's when you're out on the playground and people start calling other kids' names. Yeah, and yeah you know, you, you, you're you not sure how to react. And so um, there were no other kids like me, let's say, that were mixed that I could talk to about how do you feel about this or that. And um, I never quite felt like I was making friends on either side. And so I found that basketball was really the oh the yeah. place that I could, first of all, be myself, uh, but also be, be anybody that I wanted to be uh, and also be the guy that, if I was good enough that everybody wanted to be, you know, his friend. Yeah, so, ball don't lie. Yeah, yeah, as I was yeah, 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 ball don't lie. So, so sure. that that so basketball became really a way for me to express myself and to make friends. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So all right, so you went, you graduated from Westchester, you
0: won the state championship, won CIF, all of that. What was it like getting to play for USC? Uh, being a California kid, a Los Angeles kid, what was that like? putting on the red and gold? So, uh, cardinal and gold. <laughs> see,
1: I'm
2: a, I'm a, see, I'm a Bruin fan. So. Yeah, he, so. he,
1: he tried to slip that one past yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. He did, he did that on purpose, <laughs> for sure.
2: You know what, to be honest, my whole life, I wanted to go to UCLA. You know, really? When you grew up in Los Angeles, UCLA basketball is yeah. where you want to go. Yeah. So, um, that was where I wanted to go, and I was certain that that's where I would go. Um, it, after Before my senior year started, I took a trip to Oklahoma State, in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, yep. my good friend Doug Gottlieb was playing there, and yeah. Eddie Sutton oh, was yeah. the coach, and so I loved it. I had S- a great S- time.
1: Yeah, Sutton was okay. That's he, right. You know, and so he was—he
2: was a good, good coach, and uh, um, I went out to Stillwater, and I loved it there. But then I got back to LA, and I said, I can't go live in Stillwater, coming no. from LA. Yeah,
0: no, no way. You know, so. Did you and Gottlieb do like Maccabi games together? And so everything? we, yeah. So okay. my, yeah.
2: So he was. So when I was a sixteen, turning seventeen, after my junior year, we played together in the uh, Maccabi games in Israel.
0: Okay. So for those that don't know, uh, the Maccabi games are basically the Jewish Olympics for Jewish athletes of all ages, really. And I mean, I've competed in it. David, you've competed in, it, and you competed really in the real Maccabi games, which are in Israel, and it's you play for your country. Yeah. I played in one where I played for Los Angeles in the city and all of that um, in like a local U.S. Maccabi games. But you got to play on the world stage, and that's
2: I mean, it, that's it was it was amazing. That w- that w- you know, it's interesting though. That was in between my junior and senior year when I was going to go back to Westchester, and that was the year that um, so I got invited to ABCD camp and Nike camps. So Those are the two All American camps, right? And my father. Um, he didn't want me to have to choose between Adidas and Nike and which one I would have my loyalty to. He, instead, he sent me to Israel. And <laughs> I remember at the time, I was so upset because the other kids that went to ABC and Nike, they'd come, you know, they came geared back up. With geared yeah, up. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about the first yeah. thing they do is give them a duffel bag with yeah. two pairs of Whole shoes stuff, and sweats. Yeah. And yeah. when you're 16, 17... Oh, no. That's I mean, all you want. That's all want. <laughs> you want. I would have killed for stuff like that, you know? of course. Of course. And, and, and here I am. In Israel. And, you know, the first three days, they're waking us up early and we're traveling all around. And I'm 16 years old. Was that your first time in Israel? First time in Israel. And so I'm 16 years old, traveling all around. And all the guys on the team were all college aged guys. Right. So I'm with these older guys, traveling around Israel, you know, going out, having a good time. And when I was there, I had a great time. But I remember leading up to it, it was a big, like, I didn't want to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It was very contentious. You don't understand at 16. You don't understand. So, but um, no, but I came back and then. uh, I also played in the the Pan Am Games, which were in uh, Mexico City. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's just uh, North America and South America. And then before those two games, I played in the JCC like you did, representing yeah. Los Angeles. So, um, you know that 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 was a great experience for me. Although I, you know, I look back and I wonder if if being on the outside of that AAU. Yeah politics yeah didn't sort of wise, propel me to a, to, of to a first so so very
0: th- that's interesting because of what everything that's going on nowadays oh yeah. oh yeah
2: it's the worst kept secret in sports that you know there's there's money changing hands on the behalf of these for no, like, sure 16 yeah. year old oh, no, it's terrible. Players.
1: And now now it's even worse i mean now under Armour's in the game so every team picks a circuit of tournaments that's right and you're picking between nike and it, and they you know they're Making money off these kids. They're making money, so big time money. No,
2: so so for me, UCLA was the uh, was the dream, and my dad wanted me to go to USC. He 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 grew up in Watts, and he grew up uh, loving USC football, and he really wanted me to go to USC. I really wanted to go to UCLA. Um, I was fighting it the whole time. UCLA USC really wanted me. They'd send me hundreds of letters a day. Henry Bibby was the coach. Yep. Um, Dave Miller was assistant coach. Okay. Um, Sylvie Dominguez was the, was this the other assistant, and um, UCLA had Steve Lavin, and they um, they liked me, but um, they wanted me to wait until the spring signing period uh, mm. to sign the letter of intent, and I wanted to sign in the fall before yeah. the season. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it turns out that they were waiting for a player named Jeron Rush.
1: Oh yeah. Who yeah. they signed. Yeah, yeah. Eventually,
2: yeah. you yeah. know. So it was kind of like they were they were kind of Warm on me, but they were hot on Jaron. And so, when when I when I realized, that, I said, "Okay, you know what? I want to stay in L.A. I'll go to USC." The other thing I liked about USC was the fact that w- I wasn't just going to be another player to come through USC, or to, to to go to UCLA and win something. And you're just a long list of players. Yeah, we could start something.
1: Yeah, you can have more of an identity at USC. 100%. You know, John Wooden's name kind of just casts this huge shadow. In yeah. The- you know, the history of that program is just so much bigger than any athlete, single S- athlete that went and there. And
2: so, so when they had signed uh, Brian Scalabrini, yeah. uh, Jeff Trepanier was there. They had a g- couple good group of players coming back. Um, and then they had just signed Sam Clancy, who I had heard of uh, just from, you know, the high school names Yeah, and Yeah, stuff. the talk, yeah. Um, I said, okay, wow, this is interesting. we got a good squad coming back. we got some, you know, good players coming in. Uh, it's USC. It's twenty minutes from my house. Yeah, you know, not a bad compromise. <laughs> it's not a bad compromise. And then you know, the, and then there's the talk of the USC alumni and how important that is if you do end up graduating yeah Uh, that's such a great
1: network you know it's such a there's so many huge names that have been successful to come out of usc and so many different professions oh yeah i mean mean, you can dip your toes into so many different things with usc tied to your name
0: just by saying you're a usc alumni that opens so
2: many doors for you
1: no that's yeah that's awesome that's that's the dream especially for an athlete and i
2: kind of got that i i understood a little bit you know at the time and when when you're 17 years old you don't get it but if if people enough people are telling you and they're and they're showing you like hey this guy went to usc and this guy went to usc like oh maybe that's not a bad idea yeah Yeah.
1: no absolutely that's awesome yeah and and usc is just such such, you know pac-10 was so awesome back then you know there were so many great teams and that had to be a lot of fun playing against you know a lot of a lot of big name guys all the time a lot of fun (laughs) yeah absolutely so i got a question who wins the three-point shootout you or scalabrine
2: you know what i i i will always go with me if i'm if you're talking about a three-point shoot i'm always going to choose me and i think that's what makes great shooters is that they always believe it but i i would say i I also you know brian he definitely worked hard and he was definitely in the gym um but I, i don't i don't know many players that sort of were in the gym as much as I was shooting yeah. uh, at some point yeah. Henry uh, coach bibby gave me a key to the gym and I'd go in there at midnight god see uh, that that's like and that's set every... the gun up the gun you yeah. know the shooting machine and I'm just shooting a thousand shots yeah. that's every so, player's
1: dream yeah, right so there yeah a kid you know that's yeah. what you that's the kind of shit you dream I, I about lived right I lived in
2: the gym and yeah. so um, that's, awesome. that's about the time when I really started just loving shooting because yeah. it was just it was therapeutic. therapeutic yeah, yeah therapeutic, absolutely yeah. get it then it totally is. Yeah, and you kinda
1: lose yourself in the the task at hand. But you know? it's also
2: it was also a challenge because uh Coach Bibby was always saying and, and my dad would always say this and my high school coach always says that, you know, someone's always gonna be out there working when you're resting. Yeah, you know, absolutely. and that, that, that that stuck with me, yeah. and you know, you'd know, you hear about how Michael Jordan was the first guy at the gym and the last guy to leave, and it's yeah. like, okay, well, if that's what he's doing, then, then I wanna do that, too.
1: It's the mamba mentality. It's the
2: mamba mentality, yeah. and it's like, I, he, all throughout my college career, and also my professional career, practice would finish, and I'd get extra shots up, and I'd look around, and I wouldn't leave the court until I was the last guy to leave the court. Yes. Even if I'm just shooting free throws, just yeah. because of a mental thing that I want to be the last guy. Yeah. Yeah. First yeah. one in, last one out.
1: It takes you. It takes you. You know, a long way in most professions, and it translates into any profession, anything in life. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're the hardest, hardest worker in the gym type of stuff, you know, it's always going to work out for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You,
0: what, what else you got? I know you had a couple well, more the, USC the questions big, lined the big, up.
1: Um, the big USC question, just because I love doing stuff like this, spitball and stuff, is who's your all-time USC starting lineup? That was yeah. that was my my big question. You know USC what
2: question. we we had so it, the the our junior season it was me, Scalabrini, Clancy, Trepanier, and Granville, and we probably averaged um, we all averaged probably anywhere from thirty seven to thirty nine minutes a game, which that, is unheard of in college. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's only forty minutes a game. Exactly. Exactly. So.
2: That starting five yeah. was, a, in fact, we were on the cover of ESPN magazine, and uh, or there was a huge article in the ESPN magazine, and it was uh, titled uh, "Trojan Horses," yeah. and it was all of, and you know, it was, it was us five and Coach Bibby, and um, you know, I just remember that we were in such good shape that uh, we could do that, and yeah. Henry, uh, Coach Bibby, he would, he coached us like pros, like he he stuck with the guys that were producing on the floor that he had confidence in. And if we were out there playing well, he just never took you out of the game.
1: Definitely not gonna question his player development skills. No. <laughs> he he
2: he's he's done a nice job, you know, yeah. throughout his career of helping guys and sort of especially at the college level, he talked to us like pros. He would talk yeah. to us about uh, how pros do this and how pros do that, and so he would sort of help us. And because he knew we all wanted to be pros, yeah. he was like giving yeah. us suggestions on you how to. You go to USC
1: to prep yourself to be a professional basketball player. That's why you that, go to. That's why you get to a program like
2: that. I mean, that th- well, it's, you know, but it's it's about the coaching. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and I, I'm a firm believer that the best coaches played the game. Yeah, 100 you know? no, you know, percent. And yeah. and the 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 higher the level they played. The higher level, the stuff they can teach.
1: Yeah, the more yeah. understanding they have of what's going on on the court.
2: You so know. that, so that year, I got to say, would be our starting five that I'd, yeah. I'd go with in college. <laughs> no, you got <laughs> to pick era. your guys. You yeah. know what I mean? In any era, of basketball. that's
1: that's the same. That's the same how I would pick it. You always got to pick your the dudes you know that you did it with. You know, you went to battle with those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's awesome.
0: So I mean, and at that time, I mean, Pac-10 basketball was at another level. Uh, what was it like getting to play against some of those teams? You know, Arizona was a powerhouse at the time. UCLA was doing their
2: thing. Oregon was really Stanford was real good. Yeah. Even Cal was really good. You know, we – so my junior year, yeah, we I, – I, I think we finished – we were definitely in the top. We got to the tournament as an 11th seed, and I think we were – I don't – I think we were – we weren't quite on the bubble. We were in, right. but we were uh, barely in. But we were in. I think we finished the fifth. In fact that it that's when the Pac-10 would get like six teams in the tournament. Yeah, and yeah. now they got like one team yeah, this Yeah, this and this they past have 12 teams. yeah. This, yeah year was, 12. this year was this year was bad. I mean, but but the whole this year was I mean, USC didn't make it and they were like <laughs> no, <laughs> the that second was, best team. He, we no, we talked we talked about it on the show. They got robbed this yeah, year. They I mean, been it, it's team, uh, for sure. It's unfortunate, but yeah, back then um, you know, Stanford was really good. You know, Casey Jacobson, they had the Collins Twins, they had Mark Madsen. Uh, you know, UCLA had a great team. So um, did you
1: play against like uh, Fred Jones and uh, Fred Jones? Oh uh, yeah, Luke Jackson yep, and yep. Rittenauer? and Oregon. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great team. I remember that team because I went to a Nike basketball camp in Portland. That team showed up. Uh, They're Air, all pretty cool. Arizona
2: guys. was uh, Richard Jefferson, Michael yeah. Wright, yeah. Jason Gardner. Arizona
1: is kind of the team, of the Pac-10 team. I think of of that era for sure, just because yeah. they had so many guys that became, you know, big name, you know, yeah. and, they, names. and they won, yeah, they won yeah. The championship. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. They were uh, that. That was a crazy time for them. Yeah. Um, so, you kind of played overseas as well as you know Division One. Where do you where do you uh, compare like talent in you know the Division One? To like a Euroleague team, where this is you know this is a team full of accomplished professionals, the maturity level is different, the IQ is different. But in the NCAA, there is you know an overwhelming amount of talent, athleticism in these kids.
2: That's a good question. I, I you know, overseas they teach the game a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and so by the time the players are of college age overseas, they have a little bit different skill set. Yeah. Um. I, I like to think that the game overseas is a m- combination of the NBA and college, kind of in the middle. Yeah. Where there's a shorter shot clock, there's bigger players. There's
1: different parts of the the rule structuring that changes yeah. the game too. Well,
2: and the concept of uh, passing and cutting mm-hmm. is much like it is in college. More set plays. More set plays, but but I would say that the speed of the game is slower and more controlled mm-hmm. overseas. Yeah, versus in college where they're just all getting over up the, place the course. just fast, and yeah. they're just moving the ball fast. Yeah. They're running fast, running ahead. And um, uh, I think the shooting is a little bit better in Europe, only because the older you get, the better you get. I would think.
1: Shooting. I would think shooting would be the thing that they would be able to mop For NCAA sure. kids up on, because you know a lot of these kids are finding their games, whereas these guys have their games. They know. You know, these are great athletes trying to figure out what their game is. Develop a shot, whereas that's already developed. It's
2: already here. developed, and uh, and the, the skill work that they do as far as uh, clinics that um, teams and organizations have for the youth in yeah. Europe are different skill sets that they teach here. And yeah,
1: I, oh, absolutely. But, but I
2: also think it's the mentality of the players.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, see, in Europe, you don't have guys that are. As physical as like LeBron James yeah. or Kevin Durant. These guys that can fly. Yeah. These yeah. guys yeah. that can dunk. So the kids in Europe don't see that. So they don't emulate that. They, yeah. they don't want to become that guy that can dunk yeah. from the free throw line. Yeah. They want to be the guy that they can. Ginobili,
1: they yeah, they want to be mounted Ginobili. Yeah, they want to be the guy be that can
2: do a step back jumper from the three. Yeah. yeah. You know, not some guy that can cross you up and dunk on something.
1: Is analytics um, ingrained in that, you know, the European culture as far as basketball goes?
2: Well, I mean, As anal- far as
1: like, you know, shooting the three. Getting to the cup, mid-range game is not necessarily as effective.
2: You know, I, I don't know how much they they preach analytics over there. You know, I'm not. I was Cause never because European guys,
1: I think of being able to hit the mid-range jumper. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, no, that's, I, I think of them being able to shoot at any spot on the court.
2: They drill that. Yeah, that's exactly. A, that's a yeah. big. That's a yeah. big thing that they practice there. Yeah. You know, and and here what I see a lot of time is, get to the basket or a three-pointer.
1: Yeah, and and like uh, I always call it like the Dwight Howard effect. It's like when these kids are so young and so gifted physically, um, because the coaches want to win games, maybe to co- keep their job or develop these kids in the pros. They say just go at the rim, yep. you know, go at the rim. Yeah. And then this guy never develops touch. Never de- he can't, never he never develops coordination. He just he you know like Dwight Howard. Yeah, he made millions of dollars being able to go up at the rim. Tough, but it held him back to getting to a certain uh, echelon of players. You know what I mean? It's a big sp- piece of his game he's missing.
2: Well, he, you know, with Dwight, I always... I he's feel kind like of the, he,
1: just the biggest example, he, He's he's
2: a, he's a good example. He is just such a a, a happy-go-lucky type of guy, <laughs> it seems like. And that that doesn't always work when you're a big man. When no. you're a big man, you got to be big. Bully. Yeah. you got to be like Shaq. Yeah. And, and I think that part of Dwight Howard's issue is that maybe it was so easy for him for mm-hmm. so long that he could just enjoy it, and it wasn't like he ever had to really fight. And, and not
1: everybody's cut like that, you know? Not everybody has this burning fire in them to be the alpha dog, you yeah. know what I mean? And he didn't have to have the burning fire, and he still was the alpha he dog for so while. many years, he you was. know what I mean, yeah. yeah. So do you, do you think either one's better than the other as far as youth development? You know, if Say if, if America adapted some of their development traits, with these, you know, the athletes out here. I'd
2: like to think that they are. Yeah. I, I You know, I always see things about NBA, uh, EuroLeague partnerships. Uh, mm-hmm. They have the future, you know, um, the future players where they have them in different countries in Europe and all the NBA teams are represented there. Yep. You know, NBA teams now have full-time scouts in Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're always doing, you know, uh, every summer the uh, European coaches are coming to America and they're... Um, participating in practices in the summer league, going, going to stuff clinics, going to clinics. So there is a much more of a cooperation now, and especially with regard, you know, uh, the ability to film things, film practices, post yeah. things, and the you know,
1: internet and the you know getting it's information. It's made across. a lot easier. It's, it's, People can see them play a little bit more.
0: It ultimately comes down to it's the globalization of the game.
2: That's exactly right. And what it in is. my
1: lifetime, it's you know it's grown exponentially. It's, yeah, it's it's shooting forward, it's skyrocketing, yeah. and it's awesome to see the world's catching up.
2: Yeah, yeah. and you, spe- know. you know you look at now the NBA
1: has got a huge percentage of international. A players.
2: Huge, they, and the NBA is building gyms in Africa. And they're yeah. going there. They're doing these big clinics, and I think it's great. You know, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's become I, such a global sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was David Stern's big, big thing. You know, when he took over the NBA in the mid '80s, was to globalize the game. And now we're the kids that he exposed to the NBA are growing up, and they're the pros now. You know, yeah. they're the kids that were exposed to at a young age, and it worked. And I think, I, I mean, I, I think it's awesome. I love the EuroLeague. I love the idea of that. You know, that league. Um, I know there's a lot of talent out there. Um, there's a lot of talent coming overseas um it's awesome
0: yeah so speaking of the League, obviously like I said in the intro you're a two-time League champion you played in Israel Russia Italy France um but looking looking at some of your accolades like I see for instance in 2004 when you were on Maccabi Tel Aviv you won the League, you won the Israeli Super League and you won the Israeli Cup Can you kind of like explain the difference between like the multiple leagues and how you can win multiple championships in one year? Good question.
2: Um, So, so the Euro League is made up of teams from around the the continent, right? And and Israel, which is not particularly on the continent, but um, and then every every country has its own domestic league. Yep. And then within that domestic league, they always like to have a mid season tournament. Mm. So basically. You go through the, m- up until midseason. you say, okay, and every country structures their midseason tournament differently. Some of them have, okay, if you're in the top eight, by the halfway point, you get to play in a tournament. Mm-hmm. And you get to play in this three-day tournament, and if you win it, you just get a, another cup. And it's another way to generate revenue for the league. Sure, sure. It um, prolongs the season. It prolongs the season. Because you're not playing
1: 82-game f- season. So this it just, just, yeah. it gives
2: fans something more to cheer about. Yeah. Of course. It gives... It gives uh w- another team an opportunity to to be crowned and to and to showcase tur- your skills to it's, you know the, the
1: other leagues it's
0: essentially as if instead of the all-star break for the NBA they just did a tournament in exactly. the middle of the season Exactly.
1: Some of the high school basketball do they, they you know most you know winter tournaments you know a lot, yeah. of, a okay. lot of high school teams but, but, go but, 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 but once
2: the but conference this, starts yeah. that's it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's no. in high school. Hey, this high is school. a little
1: earlier in the season, not mid, not really mid. So,
2: so we call though when you win all three. So when you win the mid-season tournament, and then you go through the uh, regular season, and then you get to the playoffs, and you win the uh, uh, domestic league championships. Mm-hmm. If you're also in a European competition, there's many. There's the Euro League is the top. Then there's right. like the EuroBasket. Then there's FIBA. Yeah. There's different yeah. levels of. European competitions uh, and different regions, EuroLeague just happens to be the... the, number Euro, one of the league.
1: Yeah, EuroLeague is considered the best league outside of the NBA in the That's world. like
0: what we think of when we think European basketball yeah. is like the top EuroLeague. Like Barcelona, it's to,
1: Cheska, it's, yeah. exactly. it's It's similar to like the Champions League of exactly. soccer. Exactly. It's where... The, this is a league made of... Teams that dominate in their, in their domestic country. leagues. And
2: that's how, so, so and tra- it's traditionally, even Russia,
1: Israel, you yeah. know, in the European.
2: Th- that's traditionally the way you got to the Euro League, was you had to win yeah. your domestic league. And then the next year you were in the Euroleague. Yeah. But recently, in the last couple years, they've basically franchised certain teams teams to always always be in it. If they're bringing
1: in a certain amount of revenue, you're going to keep them in the league. You're going to keep them in the league. Well, that makes makes sense from a business standpoint. It does.
2: I mean, and and the thing is, like for instance, uh, Israel uh, gets one team in the Euroleague. So if uh, like one year we lost to a team called Hulon. and they they had like a 2,000 seat gym arena, so we lost in the it was one. It was a one-game championship. Mm-hmm. So that particular game, they showed up. They, you know, they beat us. They were the Israeli league champion. But the next year, they couldn't play in the Euro League because they had a two-thousand-seat gym. You got to have yeah. at least a, yeah. a certain number yeah. of people, yeah. and you got to be able to travel and this and that. So mm-hmm. they they declined to go in that. So we got to stay in it. Yeah. Oh. But now they have franchise teams. were are like. You know, if Barcelona finishes eighth in the Spanish league, which would never happen, they'd they're still, still be in be the because they're Barcelona. Yeah, you know, and so Tel Aviv is it has that tag.
1: Yeah, that. they're they're one of the they're one of the kind of the, yeah, I the mean, big time
2: teams. Maccabi Tel Aviv
0: is the staple team in in Israel.
2: In Israel, and so winning you know winning the Israeli Cup and the league, anytime you win a championship, it's great. But they've Maccabi's won it for every year, right. damn near. So it's yeah. like you know they, they're they're going to win that. Winning the Euro League on top of that was the real that's the, awesome. that's the cherry
0: yeah. on top. Yeah, right that's there. big.
1: That's, that's big time. That's, you know, so that's
0: what what was what was that like? I mean, you played in March Madness, which is crazy, and I mean it takes the U.S. and the world by storm. But I mean to play in the Euro League Championships, what what is that like? You know, it
2: was it was really something special because it's your first of all, it's your job. And uh, when, you're, when you're doing something every day and, you know, you see yourself progressing as a team, as an individual player, um, and then you win the championship, it's kind of like a, such a satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and, and as an adult, you know, obviously there's, there's like a bonus involved, so that, that helps too. <laughs> that, that makes it worth your while. But uh, then also, you, you know, you, when you celebrate, um, you know, you, you, you celebrate and it's not like you have to like go to class the next day or or. You know, you, you, you can't do certain things. Yeah. You, you can do everything you want, you know, because you're an adult. Yeah. You know? And so uh, enjoying, enjoying the championship was a little bit different. Plus, we didn't win the NCA. So if we right. would have won yeah. the NCAA championship, yeah. maybe that would be a different yeah, experience. Yeah, exactly. sure. The
1: <laughs> biggest celebration was making it, probably. Maybe winning games. Yeah, but, but you know, but, so, you didn't win.
2: but, the, but the championship um, with Maccabi was great because it's, it's, it's a professional level. Yeah, you know that where you're playing against really good players, talent-wise, and you know systems. So you had three different tenures with Maccabi Tel Aviv, uh, one of which David Blatt was your coach. What was that like? Actually, I had uh, four different tenures. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough, but uh, over the course of s- seven years, four you know different uh, right four different ties. But um, David was my rookie year coach. And uh, I remember uh, I didn't get much playing time until the end of the season, so it was a little bit challenging for me. Uh, and then he was also the final my final year as coach. Uh, David was a great great coach. He's a great guy. Um, I think David is one of the best players or best coaches that I've played with that understands emotional intelligence of his players. Uh, he was a guy that really and does understands. When to yell at a player, when to not yell, when to yeah. leave the player alone.
1: Coaching players, not coach. You yeah, know, coaching humans, not. So he,
2: know, he he has his system. Not a
1: video game player. This right. Is, there's emotions. He, he, he has he, he
2: has his system, and typically when in Europe, Europe. So I guess you, I could say it like this: the recruiting phase and how teams are made up in Europe are first they hire the coach, and then the coach gets the players that will fit his system, whereas in the NBA. The NBA players are there, and the the GMs hire the coach that will manage the egos of the players. And so um, for me, I I can fit into any system. And so playing for David, I fit into his system. I worked hard. um, And and I thought he was just a great coach as far as what he was doing offensively, but also what he did as far as um, motivating us as players and people. And just being a friend to us was, was very helpful.
1: No, that could take you That could take you a long way yeah. in coaching.
2: Yeah, 100%. So,
1: so did uh, any uh, any young players that you played overseas that ended up, you know, going going over to the NBA that you played before they went to the NBA?
2: Yeah, so, uh, well, there's a few. I mean, you know, Ricky I'm Rubio sh- yeah, was one. Yeah, Rubio was, was
1: actually the one pl- that.
2: Playing against, yeah. There's there's a few guys. Um, uh, like I played with Marco Bellinelli. We played together. No, no, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, Probably the the best one is Omri Caspi. Yeah, uh, that's my boy. So so I remember. So Omri Omri was a was a rookie. He was 18. He just finished high school. He was in the army, and I was playing. I was like 27, and um, I just remember he was uh, he would show up and his fatigues and his like rifle and put it up in the <laughs> in the locker because everybody goes to the army. Yeah, thing. so yeah. and then he get out there and put his stuff on and go out to practice. And I remember he was always kind of tired because they wake you up and yeah. you have to go to like boot yeah. camp and yeah. then go to practice. Um, but I remember Omri was very receptive of of anything that I said. So we played the same position. Yeah, we guarded each other in practice, and you know he would ask me a question, like, why do you do this, why do you do that? And I would explain it to him, and I just remember he was so like, okay, okay, he would, he got it, he would would listen, and, and even though I'm 27, and I'm not like an NBA player. I was still, a, I'm still a really good player. Yeah. He's he's listening to me. He's saying okay. Yeah. And then it got to the point where he would, you know, he would try to outdo me by, sh- you know, he tried to show up <laughs> to practice. I, yeah. he'd say, what time are you gonna get there? And I'd say, I'm gonna get there at four. He'd show up at three fifty-five, and I'd already be there by three forty-five because I knew what he was trying <laughs> yeah, you to do. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that he's probably. Uh, One of the guys that really stands out to me as far as a guy that I saw him from the beginning coming to the professional ranks in Europe and kind of working his way up through the national team and now in the NBA. And he's just had a good career. And he's just a hard-working kid, great guy. Um, So, I mean, obviously you played the majority of your
0: career in Israel. um, And obviously you're Jewish. And what was – you brought up how Omri Caspi would come straight from – army and boot camp and put down his rifle take off his uniform and everything and get ready for practice what was it like playing in israel with obviously that area of the world having so much contention and what was something maybe that you experienced overseas that you might not have expected to happen
2: uh so first of all playing in israel was you know i had been there when i was 16 so i kind of knew the landscape i knew what it looked like um I lived in Ramat Aviv, which is kind of near the beach, and in Tel Aviv, North Tel Aviv. And I never, I never went to open-air markets. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I wasn't, certainly wasn't going to Gaza. Right. And when, no, you're of in, course. when you're in this uh, beach, Tel Aviv area, you pretty much feel safe. I mean, you could be in L.A. I, you yeah, know, there's some more dangerous places in L.A. than, than Tel Aviv. Yeah. You know. Um, so for me, I, I've always felt very comfortable living in Israel. Um, I had family and friends there. I learned my way around the streets. Um, one thing that I, I found that was a bit unfortunate was the anti-Semitism that we faced in other countries. Uh, you know, you we, w- we would play in places like Spain where there's a lot of outspoken um, pick, picket signs and yeah, um, yeah. protesters, yeah. and they're protesting uh, the treatment of the Palestinians. And so um, up in the stands, you would see uh, Palestinian flags and you'd see anti-Israeli and anti-Jewish uh, uh, banners that people would make. Yeah. and you you don't really see that in America. No, no, uh, that that's, a, that's you know, an interesting. And, thing and right then now. and then we would go to places like, um, you know, Serbia, Lithuania, and you know, they weren't as receptive. Let's say, uh, or, or um, one thing I always noticed was when we'd play in some of these countries, you know, we'd get terrible calls, like the referees, yeah. which are. You know, supposed we, to be unbiased. Unbiased, yeah. but you yeah. know these guys are these guys grew up with a certain education. Yeah. You know, we we all are products of our education, what we learned in school, and we learned something here in America, but in you know in Lithuania mm-hmm. and and Poland they're learning a different history.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And so we're playing against, uh, you know, guys that learned a different history than we learned. And so you know, the referees—they learn a different history. So there's there's sometimes bigotry and anti-Semitism there. And plus, um, we had a lot of uh, African Americans on the team. Yeah. And so we're here. We are an African American, you know, Jewish team representing Israel playing yeah. like yeah, <laughs> in <yeah>. Eastern Europe. <laughs> yes. and, you know, at different places. It was yeah. it was it was challenging. <laughs> You know, the decks somebody, were stacked against you. For it sure. was. It was. And and.
1: Well, these countries have been divided against each other for so so many years, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Whereas you know, our American culture is so new and so young compared to what's going on in there.
2: And and the and you asked me about winning a championship. So winning a championship with Maccabi, it wasn't just about basketball. Yeah, it's 100%. That, yeah, you went in for the yeah. You're, you're, it, this was you know, Olympic type of thing, a yeah.
1: World Cup type of thing.
2: I I completely get what you're saying. It's yeah. it's little Israel. You know, defeating these yeah. big countries like just Russia. like always. It, I mean, <laughs> they, they've, had a, they've had great have had great just success, like always. I, I remember that was that was a big headline. Was you know Israel is kings of Europe, and you know at the pr- at the last final four in two thousand fourteen, uh, we were the we were physically the smallest and budget wise we were the smallest, and it was Madrid, Barcelona, and Moscow, and it was like these big physical teams. Yeah, and here we are, you know, a little tiny team and we won and it's like you know i i I like to i always think that there's something in the in the water in the in the in the air in uh, in israel that's like just like fate like they have a a a special fate
0: yeah i mean me personally being jewish and growing up here and having family in israel as well and going there for the first time a couple of summers ago immediately when i got off the plane and i got to israel i felt something Mm And I feel like all all Jewish people feel that when they go to Israel for the first time, or even no matter how many times they've been there, they just always feel that connection to Israel,
2: and it's it's always about something more. Yes, when it comes to that. And that and that's something I felt when I was 16 and I first went there, because I didn't want to go there, but then when I got there, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, yeah, there, there's something about this place. And then when I got a chance to live there. Um, it was real special. And then I had the chance to play for the national team. I was, I
0: was that was just what I was about to bring and,
2: up. and that was like, that took my appreciation for the country, but also the country's appreciation for me to another level. For because sure. Because when you, anytime you represent a country against another country, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. And yeah. whatever country you're representing is a big deal. Yeah. So
0: you, you got to play in Eurobasket 2011, which is the Olympic qualifying and like, it's like a FIBA tournament and all of that. So what, what was that experience like? getting to play for Israel, and putting a country's name across your chest and playing for something more than just yourself?
2: Yeah, so 2010 was the qualifications for that Eurobasket, 2011. Uh, we actually played really well in that qualification, so we made it to that Eurobasket. The Eurobasket was held in uh, Lithuania at the time, and we had a tough group. We had uh, we had a Latvia. We beat Latvia. um we beat Italy. That was in our group. We lost to, uh, to Germany, France, and Serbia. And if we would have won two of those games, we would have gone on to the tournament portion of that, and then we could have competed for an Olympic
0: So that was like bid. group play, and then it went into like a bracket-style yeah, yeah. tournament. It, it was a tough like, group. I mean, yeah. you know,
2: I was guarding Chris Kamen and, and uh, Dirk Nowitzki you know and these are skilled 7 foot yeah. heavy guys yeah. and I, I was playing yeah. center i'm 6 7 yeah 6'7". Cause you had a smaller yeah a smaller team and so you know they they beat us and then serbia was like Kristic and uh teodosic and yeah. uh, you know just some good good players and then france was like tony parker boris diao Joakim <laughs> no and it was like these guys are pros they're yeah. the nba pros yeah. and not just and they're good tall nba pros and yeah. we had some good players too but you know, those teams, you know, size matters in basketball.
1: Yeah, no, I always I always like to tell people, I mean, there are guards everywhere in the world. In every league, there's guards. But big guys, I think, are what separate high-end leagues. High-end For sure. tournaments is big guy play.
2: Especially skilled big guys.
1: Yeah, that's that's why, you know, there's not too many of them running around the NCAA. So if you got one, you can dominate, you yeah. know. And if the big guy play kind of dictates to me how high a level this Players. Well, look
0: at look at all the all the centers the team USA usually takes with them to international tournaments. It's well,
1: and then you know you see things like I'm a fan of the Drew League, and you you know you can see Trevor Reza go out there and he's the biggest guy on the court. Yeah. But when he plays in the NBA, he's a three. You know, he's not yeah. yeah. hard and perimeter guy. Yeah. It's just that's how it is.
2: Yeah, you can't teach height. That's what they say. Yeah, like. the, no, no, you can't. no. So
0: now now that you've retired, you you're kind of getting into like the skills and development and training and coaching what what are you doing now with that so
2: i um over the course of my career i really developed a uh uh different concepts about basketball different ways of preparing my body different ways of thinking about the game um and a lot of it has to do with uh some, my, i practice uh, Shaolin, shaolin uh, qigong and tai chi and Kung Fu and so I implemented some of these uh, breathing exercises and mental practices and uh, working with energy and and understanding um, how to conserve energy and how to be efficient with my movements and so what I do is I try to teach some of these things in a more simplified way to uh, to to kids right now to high school kids and, and, and kids that can understand that if they slow their game down they'll be more effective and they'll be able to play longer because right now what I see in, in, in a lot of kids, high school kids playing is that they're moving so fast mm-hmm. and and they, they're never, they never are given the instruction to slow down no. and to, to focus on uh, their footwork. So a big thing I do is I work on footwork with players. Um, I work on shooting with players because I, I, I'm a great shooter and uh, you can shoot a thousand shots, but, the question is, well, what, what do you do when you miss five in a row in a game? You know, yeah. how do you get... Yeah, what do you go back to? What do you go back to? Well, how what, do you, what's that thing How do you your recalibrate mind, your yeah, mind, get yourself yeah. back in the zone? So yeah. there's things you can do to practice that. And so I teach kids how to do that. Um, that Part of that is emotional intelligence. So I teach kids about how to be aware of their emotions and, and not just on the court, but also throughout the day. Yeah. Um, I teach kids now, and any player really, how to find rhythm in the game. A big thing I like to do is have kids uh, skip up and down the court. You know, nowadays, when I was a kid and I wanted to play basketball, my parents said, you know, go to the park. So you walk to the park, and while you're walking, you skip. And when you skip, you're getting in the rhythm of life. And so as you're dribbling and skipping, you're getting to the rhythm of dribbling, and you're getting to the rhythm of basketball. So kids don't walk anywhere. They get dropped off. So I have kids skip up and down the court. And it's like some of these kids it's their first time skipping yeah and they're yeah, you know oh they're, they're, yeah, they're yeah. looking awkward yeah. and but what they're doing is they're getting into a nice rhythm and they're getting comfortable with their bodies and mm-hmm. balancing and and dribbling at the same time it
1: starts to become an extension of themselves. it starts to
2: become an extension and I have kids um a- and also anybody that wants to learn listen to their feet so when you're doing a dribbling drill and you're dribbling left and then you cross over and dribble to the right the ball should be bouncing the same the whole way down the court. And your feet should be hitting the ground the same way going left, the same way going right. And so you're you're getting into the rhythm of the drill. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about is the sound of their feet and the sound of the ball as it hits the ground. Yeah. You well know?
1: It kinda all calibrate like you said, it all kind of calibrates your mind in the basketball game and that, you know, gives a uniform uniformity to it. You know, you know what it's supposed to sound like, yeah. you know, what it's supposed to feel like, you know, you know how your body's supposed to move, and then it becomes kind of more second nature. Yeah,
0: it's all it's all about gaining that familiarity with
2: yourself. Yeah, and, and, and the game. And so another thing that I do is uh, when I have – I tell kids when they watch the game to watch the other players, not just the ball. Yeah. Because yeah. when you watch what's going on in the corner, you watch the guy, is he ready to shoot? You know, if he gets if, – if the guy – if the if dribbler, the shooter, misses a wide-open guy – does that wide open guy drop his head, you know, like yeah. why didn't you pass me the ball? Or does he run back on defense yeah. and just get back, you know? W- what is the body language of guys as they come off the court? Guy makes a mistake, he gets comes out of the court, you know, gets subbed out. How does he walk back to the bench, mm-hmm. you know, versus if he's playing great and he just needs a breather yeah. and he subs out, how does he walk back to the bench then? Yeah. You know, so if you see all these things happening, then you can kind of say, oh, well, that doesn't look very good. No. But then, as you realize, hey, I, maybe I walk off the court sometimes like that. So yeah. then, the next time it happens, and you do come to court, you're aware, you're
1: self-aware of what yeah. you're doing, and then you know you're reflecting on others as well, yeah. seeing what you want to be and what you don't want to be.
2: I think I think what's also
0: great about you teaching that and trying to get that more in more integrated into the, today's game is with the AAU culture that we have. Is like you never know who's watching you in the gym. Roy Williams could be watching. A five-star athlete on the other
2: team but he's watching your game as well you're out there I yeah. mean you're out there you know it's it's like and a lot of guys that's how they get picked up is because they just happen to be on the court with the guy that everybody came to see right place right And time. you have the game of your life
1: well and, and I gotta you know I gotta say in today's NBA the 3 and D players arguably one of the most valuable players sure. in the game and, and a 3 and defensive player you know like you said if you watch him without the ball that you're going to learn a lot, you know, yeah. with spacing, and that's part of the game, and being, like you said, being ready to shoot and doing things without the ball is, is very valuable. Yeah, you need guys to start on your team. Not everybody can be this, you know, high usage, ball handling, you know, volume scorer. You need the, You need the full team, and when they're ready to go, they're normally ready to go. You know, and, and
2: the other thing that I think is important that I teach is is just asking the question to the young athletes: is what does basketball mean to you? And I share. My story about what it meant to me growing up, as far as my childhood goes, uh, also my, you know, my mom passed away when I was 14, so I was still a kid. And so basketball was where, what made me happy. Yeah. And so it mm. gave it even more of a meaning. And yeah. so I think anything you do, if you, if you find meaning, you give it a, a enough meaning, you can become great if you, d- if you put in the work because the work means that much to you. And so that's just a question I ask is is for every athlete to think about, you know, what does it mean to play this sport? Are you playing it because your friends are playing it, because, you know, the girls or guys will think you're cute? Or are you playing it because, you know, it makes your mom smile and there's nothing you love better than seeing her smile. So that's why you go play.
1: Yeah, it's an identity. It's It's an identity. It's who you are. It's a part of you. You know, you put in work of it. You're proud of it. You're proud of the product. You're constantly sculpting the game, you know yeah. what I mean, and it's it kind of puts a value on you know your work and who you are as a person. It's like, listen, I took time, I put it put it in. And this. and
2: sometimes I don't think that adults think that kids are ready to have that thought process, but uh, but I think they are. I think kids are ready to learn how to control their minds and their yeah. emotions.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I th- I mean, I w- I remember being a very emotional kid and and basketball and. And football were absolutely the, the best things for it. Um, you know, you could escape a little bit. You can get it out of your head. The physicalness of it would, you know, get all that aggression out. It's it's, it's a great thing that it does.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in, in setting this whole thing up, uh, we've had multiple conversations on how you feel about the mental and emotional part of the game. So how do you – What are your what are your feelings on that and how do you incorporate it into your coaching and your teaching and all of that?
2: Yeah, you know, I, um, unfortunately I've had a couple of friends, close friends, uh, um, commit suicide that were professional athletes. One of them, or one of them was a couple weeks ago, Billy Knight, um, UCLA player. And, uh, a year and a half ago, uh, my other best friend, um, professional baseball player, major league, he took his life. Uh, and, um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, how sports is looked at in the society as a measure of manhood and uh, always being tough and the (laughs) toughest guy on the field or the court is gonna be the best player. And therefore, if you wanna be the best player, you gotta be the toughest guy and Mm -hmm. being the toughest guy means uh, don't cry, don't talk about your feelings.
1: And I also think it's really, you know, people, I think there's have a hard time having sympathy just because they're, just because they're an accomplished athlete, they're like, well, why do I have to feel bad for this guy? You and, know, and but, th- yeah. but they're humans. And, yeah. that, and
2: they're humans. And that's, yeah. that's the thing that I've come to, to realize is that, you know, um, if, if you have a bad day at work um, and you just want to get in your car and go home, well, if you're an athlete and you're coming out of the locker room, you got to do an interview. You got to sign autographs because even though you lost the game and you played terrible, yeah. there's a group of kids that are just so happy to see you. Yeah. And so you got to yeah. you got to walk with your head held high, and you know then you, you you go home and you can't necessarily tell your you know your spouse about your your troubles because you don't want to worry her, and you don't necessarily want to tell your friends or whoever it is because they're going to have opinion about well you should do this or you deserve this or that. Yeah. You know, and so you ne- you just kind of. Keep it to yourself. Yeah, and and at some point, you know, you are able to let let this let steam off by lifting weights or getting mm-hmm. some extra shots up, but you never really solve the problem. Yeah, no. I mean, you, you kind of just put
0: it away for you a little put it bit. away for yeah.
2: a little bit, yeah. and then so what happens uh, with with my friends and and with a lot of athletes is, you know, once you no longer have that daily activity of lifting weights and shooting you know, now what? Now it's just, it comes out in different ways, whether it's substance abuse or... or... And it
1: goes back to the identity thing, you know? Yeah. Like, I was, you know, I was a professional mm-hmm. basketball, you know, I played, or not me personally, but say, you know, someone I played professional for 10 years, now that's over, you know, when I used to go up and, you know, I'm, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a professional basketball player, now what do you like, say? What's next? You know, when what's that's, next? when that's over, you know, and there's a huge identity in sports, I don't think, you know, unless you played sports, I don't think you understand that that is your identity so, so as that, an athlete. Yeah, so that being said, what, what I gone. think
2: is that, you know, what I'm trying to teach, um, particularly boys, you know, especially at the, at the 12, you know, 11, 14, because that, that's kind of the age I've been working with, yeah. is that um, it's okay to talk about your feelings yeah. and it's okay to cry. Nobody's going to think that you're, you know, yeah. soft or weak. Uh, uh, because you know it's important that that men and boys are able to talk about their feelings and emotions, and yeah. you know it, it's a, it, mental health is a big problem yeah. amongst men, not just athletes, but all men. Yeah. yeah. In this no, country. I say
1: it's a, yeah, it's an alpha dog and thing. I, you don't want to admit. You, yeah. Like you said, you're you kind of you know you feel threatened about it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it. I think it's great that we've seen. Uh, I mean, very recently. Uh, this past NBA season, players like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan uh, coming out and speaking up about their uh, troubles that they've gone through and the experiences that they've had and what they've done to try and kind of combat it and kind of get themselves to a better place. So I definitely think that mental health is definitely on the rise in terms of Awareness. talking about Awareness. it more, yeah. You know, talking
2: about it more in sports and all of that. It needs to be. And, you know, I think a big part of it was like, the introduction of social media kind of um, put a lot of pressure on, on people with mental health because, you know, you, you, it social- It magnifies your life. It magnifies, not, it, but people just, it's only the good things that it's, yeah, the, the it's that instant
0: yeah. gratification that people are looking for, and yeah. when they don't get it, it, it really can affect them. It can
2: affect them, and so that being said, I think there was a, a wave of issues, and now people are realizing the effects of these issues, and now they're, they're speaking out because they're saying, hey, well, we, now we have the platform the platform has done this to, to people, yeah. now we need to sort of put some balance This here.
1: generation is kind of at the forefront of the topic. So I mean, far, yeah. you know, I think a lot of these athletes, it's, you know, they're part of a bigger, you know, group of people as a generation that's, you know, the anxiety and the, you know, the depression and all that stuff is just more, more and more common. Well,
2: and it's interesting, the, you, know, you know, the
1: pharmaceutical it, stuff is, is that, more common. And that was like
2: 10 years ago, it was yeah. like everybody was getting Ritalin all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like nobody had add when i was in high school yeah i mean yeah. That, you know, nobody did know what that was yeah but now exactly. like, half the guys on each team in college are taking yeah. Yeah, medication yeah. for add and it's like well, where did this ha- when did this happen
1: yeah no it's 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 a uh, it's a sad thing and that and i you know with kevin love and demar DeRozan, you know i think i don't necessarily think of them as nba players as more of this they're part of this generation, generation you know what i mean they're yeah. just kind of the first ones a yeah. big big platform to speak out about it because i think you know that's a huge I think there's, you know, problems with it in music as well. You know, the entertainment industry. You know, for sure. And um,
0: I mean, we have to we have to commend commend actions like that because people like that do have a platform to actually really have an impact on a, a problem like this.
1: And to you know, to glorify talking about your problems. Yeah. And, and going to the gym and working out and you know facing your problems head on rather than taking a pill. I think. That's the great thing that Damar and Kevin are doing is is more pushing that rather than pushing, you know, pharmaceuticals, you know, talk to somebody, you know, go go work out, you know, stuff like that.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I heard, I mean, everybody recently was talking about that Kevin Durant, CJ McCollum uh, podcast episode where KD was... Telling C.J. McCollum, like, look, the Blazers aren't going to win an NBA championship this year, but they brought up the whole mental health aspect about it, and they both admitted that they're looking for therapists to to talk to people, wow. uh, to to talk to someone to to just have someone to talk to and vent to, and that's basically a third party where judgment-free zone, all of that stuff. So I think I think it's great that. I mean, more players are
2: starting to to talk about it and take it more seriously. Hopefully, the teams will take it seriously too. I think, I think it, that'd be huge. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of fear by players that you know, if they go to their coach yeah. or they go to the management and say, yeah. "Hey, I think I have a." You know, a mental health issue. I yeah. think I have a drinking problem, you're right? I need some help. Or you're gonna get they cut. They get cut. Yeah. 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 You know, and yeah. it's like guys are keeping their mouths shut. I
1: would never say anything. I mean, I know for you know, yeah. I would never say anything if I was on a you know an NBA roster, right? you know, and and I was having issues and I wanted to stop. I've got every resource in the world to stop, yeah. but if I say something, yeah. I'm gonna lose what is the most important you might. piece. Well, yeah.
0: And it's it's like you said, when talking about playing in championships and all of that is this is your job. This is your livelihood. Yeah. It's it's the way they make their money to set their families up for the rest of their lives. It's They don't want to risk it. And it's unfortunate that it has kind of this stigma
2: where they could well, I, you know, is that the case? You know, I don't know if that's the case if you're an investment banker and you have No, I don't problems, think it is. If you go to your bank, you, you know, uh, Merrill Lynch or, or Goldman Sachs, and you you know, you know, tell your bank manager, you know, I need to check myself into rehab, you know, are they going to fire you or are they going to help you?
0: Yeah, I don't think they'd fire you.
2: Right. And so... You know, is there legal ramifications if they fired you? Well, I guess that would ring true in the NBA too. They can't just fire you for an right. issue, you know. But maybe that's—I I don't know. You know, I don't they can't.
1: You know, they—they they have a. You know, they can't. <laughs> they'll just keep paying you and not play. Or you they'll figure. Play, you know or they'll they figure there.
0: out a way to cut you without saying that's the actual. or to easy. hurt your future. You know,
1: exactly. set you up to where you can't. Where you can't play. It. Yeah. 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 No, you know, it's
2: like, and they can always just say, "Well." We don't, a need a, we don't a need a player like you, you. It's almost I
1: mean? like you know, you know. It's almost like you need, um, you know, like an FBI. You need a third party in there that's like, hey, players can come to these guys, and these guys cannot say shit to their team. You know what I mean? Something, yeah. you know, if if someone has a uh, someone has a problem, and plays for the Spurs, they get to go talk to this third party. It's like and, going to
2: the counselor at school.
1: And, and but the Spurs never. I don't. I don't, I don't
2: know. It. Maybe, and I would hope that they have thought about that. I mean, that seems like a very simple and effective thing <laughs> yeah, to have in place. Yeah, <laughs> and I know there's got to be more complicated than uh, that because no, you know, yeah, but, but
1: that's but that's a good that's what I, I mean. That's the kind that's the way you would have to do it because I don't care what any piece of paper says. If I tell a coach, a GM, or an owner that I'm, you know, that I want to check into rehab, they no matter what they say to me, I think in the back of their mind, I lost value. Yeah. Well,
0: look at I mean, and a lot of value. look at look at Josh Gordon in the NFL. He had to go to rehab. He's been suspended. Like, they have all of these things that will basically hinder y- you trying to get help because he admitted he had a problem yeah. with substance abuse. So he
1: tried to cover it up rather than getting help.
0: Exactly. And, that's and he that's got like. caught because of drug tests that's the from the, the, the league sad, and everything. You
1: know, the sad truth of the matter.
0: But I, I think it's definitely great um, what you're doing. I know um, you got to get out of here. So we're going to wrap this up, but uh, we like to end the show with a shout out or anything. So if you want to shout anybody out, anything in sports, anybody, you know, anything wow. like that, that's that's how we like to end the show. He, he, <laughs> he's got a shout out. Prepared. I, I, mean,
1: I was going to shout out the old Pac-10 hoops, you know, yeah. before I don't know what the 12 has done for us. I don't know what Utah and Colorado are really bringing to the table, but I I grew up you know in Washington State loving loving uh, Pac-10 basketball, and it was o- always great watching you know USC, Arizona, Oregon, all those teams. Yeah, you know what, I, it I, was fun to look back at those numbers today.
2: I I I'll say I, I will shout out to um, all of my teammates that I've had throughout my career because yeah. uh, um, you know when you're an athlete, especially playing overseas, you you move overseas in August. You become brothers with these twelve other guys and you, you go to dinner with them, lunch with them, breakfast.
1: I imagine like the military. You oh, know you're I mean? you're yeah. you're just together it's all a fraternity. the time. Yeah.
2: And these be these guys become your friends. You can talk to them about issues yeah. you have at home, you can talk to them about everything, and everything you talk about stays in the locker room it's because a co- it's it's, it's, it's a group, you know? Yeah. And then you and then you, the season finishes and you all go your separate ways. And some of these guys you never see them again. Yeah. But but for 10 months. Yeah, you're that best moment in time, absolutely. Best of friends. for yeah, sure. You, you're yeah. inseparable.
1: It's one of the best parts of sports. A- yeah. yeah. A-
2: and unfortunately, you know, I've, well, not unfortunately, but I was lucky enough to have so many teammates. Yeah. And some of them are still friends only because we just sta- we stayed friends throughout. Yeah, circumstances worked uh, out. But some of them I lost touch with. And so my shout out is to the ones I've lost touch with that uh you know and th- they all know who they are guys that i would you know that literally we'd be we'd be roommates yeah and we'd talk about all kinds of stuff and you know some of the short stories we sold. so so it was like they they were my sounding board for a lot of years yeah. for sure you yeah. know they because when you live in europe you don't have your friends from home your childhood friends no, you're isolated you're isolated there. so yeah. the other american guys become your your brothers your family for sure you know and so those are the guys i'm shouting out to
1: all right that's a good one
0: yeah no that's a great one so my shout out this week is to birdie's revenge which is the rapper the games drew league team even though they lost this past weekend in the regular season finale i'm shouting them out because they entered the game undefeated on the season they were riding a 26 game winning streak dating back to last drew league season Uh, they won the drew league championship last year they have Reigning Drew League MVP Frank Session, aka Frank Nitty, uh, but it took a team led by James Harden, PJ Tucker, and Montrezl Harrell. <laughs> the to Rockets s- showed up to the Drew League. Yeah. yeah, to snap the team's winning streak. And Game's team has zero. I repeat, zero NBA players on it. And wow. for those for those that don't know, the Drew League is a summer hotbed for NBA players here in LA. But anyway, good luck to the game, Birdie's Revenge, and Frank Nitty in the Drew League playoffs. Uh, Don't forget, you can find us at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to find myself or Tyler on Twitter, be sure to follow us at the Duke of Sports and at Tyler's underscore world underscore. David, you got any social media handles you want to throw out there?
2: Facebook, Blue Basketball, BLU Basketball is kind of my uh, beginning phase of my training. Uh, Instagram is Mr. David Blue and Twitter is uh, David Blue. That's BLU.
0: Okay. Uh, All of our content can be found on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Just type in keyword TSK Show in the search bar. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us as well. We're also now on Anchor. Just go to anchor.fm slash TSK Show or download the Anchor app for your iPhone or Android. That's it for this episode of the TSK Show. We appreciate you all so much for listening. David, thank you so much for yeah, being thank here. thank you, man. Thank you for coming thank in. Uh, awesome. We'll be back next week with another great episode for you guys. Peace.